how to start. Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to Creative Principles. I'm your host, Brock Swinson. In this podcast interview series, I'll be speaking with writers, directors, actors, musicians, chefs, and various other types of creatives as we bridge the gap between creativity and productivity. Here we'll be discussing the habits, routines, and lessons that help promote a successful creative life. If this is your first time listening, make sure to subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes. Since 2001, Ayanna Floyd has been working on shows like Gideon's Crossing, Private Practice, Hannibal Empire, and now she's producing, writing, and showrunning Showtime series The Shy for season two. Originally created by Lena Waite, or known for Master of None, the new series is a character drama that follows the lives of four men in Southside Chicago, along with their community, after a fateful turn of events shocks their community. In this exclusive interview, Floyd discusses a character piece without a hook, finding your voice, advice from Vanessa Taylor, who wrote The Shape of Water, going beneath the surface with character, the state of the industry, and we briefly discuss her upcoming miniseries, The Cotton Club. The print version of this interview is also available on Creative Screenwriting's website. I'm from Toledo, Ohio, and... Um went to school in Michigan and, and then went to grad school in Chicago and um, started off as a journalism major and thought I wanted to be um, Barbara Walters and um, figured out figured out very quickly that that's not what I wanted to do and, and got really interested in, in plays and, and started writing and um, at Columbia kind of found my voice and found television and um and then moved to LA where I uh, got accepted into the Walt Disney Writing Fellowship, um, which is a very popular celebrated writing program these days. But back then it was just starting its um, drama section. And I was one of the first drama fellows and I landed on Gideon's Crossing because of the fellowship, which was with Andre Brower and uh, Paul Antonacio and Eric Overmeyer. So that's how I started. That's a quick story. <laughs> And I see you've worked on um, a series of shows as a writer. You've done like two or three episodes of Gideon's Crossing, Family Law, Private Practice. Um, how did you, when you were starting out, how did you learn to kind of, you know, mimic the showrunner's voice or find the voice of a show? How did you dissect what it meant to be a, a part of this collaboration? That's a good question. I mean, you know, it's, it was much different than it was um, than it is now. I mean, what I did was I was kind of old school. I watched a lot of television. Um, I, you know, the, the internet wasn't that big. So I would call production offices and get scripts and, um, and I would read scripts and study scripts and, and really watched how to make the voices. And back then, there was a requirement that you always had to be equipped with a spec script. So the goal was to get a spec script, you know, write a spec script of every show that, you know, was reflective of what you could do. So 
I wrote a lot of spec scripts. I watched a lot of television. I read a lot of scripts and kind of, you know, learn how to do it brick by brick. And I worked for a lot of big show runners. Um, a lot, you know, some were easy and some were hard, which forced me to learn quickly. Um, and I did a lot of writing and did a lot of rewriting um, and, you know, got a lot of positive feedback and got a lot of criticism. And so now I'm here. <laughs> so a lot of those, I'm sure you, you wrote different styles for different shows. Did you start to kind of develop your own, your own brand or how would you describe, you know, your voice over a career as a writer? Yeah, you know, it when you work for, you know, so many shows, um, that's a good question. It it does start to blend like you start you do start to lose your voice and kind of not know your voice. And so um, you know, whenever I was on hiatus or had a break, um, I would always try to write a, original material. And finding my voice is a process. I don't think it happens overnight, um, where you just wake up and you're like, Wow, I found my voice. I mean, I think you have to find with with what you know, what interests you. And I had to discover that as well. Um, and I think you have to um, kind of explore what you want to say and how to say it in a way that's not knocking people over the head. You know what I mean? And so it's all a processing. And the only way you really learn it, honestly, to me, is by reading and writing. Um, it's that simple. Like, you know, when you read, um, I think you raise your IQ. And then when you write, you become clearer about how to express yourself. So it sounds like a lot of, um, you know, in hindsight, a lot of your work is just putting in the work and doing reading and writing and doing all the hours that you need to do. Were there other pieces of like mentally advice you heard early on that helped shape your writing? I think one writer, Vanessa Taylor, she, um, she just did the movie. She just got nominated for Oscar. Actually. I can't even remember the movie. The Shape of uh, Water. I think that's what it was. She once told me one time, she gave me some criticism on my work, and she said, there's not enough specificity here. And that always stuck with me because what she was really saying is that, you know, this is bland. And I think she might have said it, <laughs> which, you know, at the time, it kind of hurt my feelings. But I was, I'm always been pretty good about receiving criticism on my writing. So I heard her, even though I was kind of like bummed about it. Um, but that made me start to ask myself, you know what, what's special about the story you're telling? What's special about the create the character that you're creating? Like, you know, it's one thing to kind of mimic what you see on TV and try to recreate that character. It's another to kind of think about in real life, who do you find interesting? What dilemmas do people find themselves in that you want to write about? Like what life themes and issues do you want to explore? Like, and that's what she was really challenging me to do is like to develop my own voice and look for those special moments and that specificity that kind of uh, makes the, makes your character different from the pack, you know? Do you have any, um, I'm sure your, your spec scripts are a variety over the years. Do you have any, um, Certain habits have stuck with you the entire time. Have you kept a notebook, or just, or do you just dive into one subject at a time in terms of research? Is like show to show. How do how do you kind of view the big picture habits of writing? Yeah, like um, what well, depends if I'm going on to someone else's show, um, or you know, and I'm working for another showrunner. 
then, you know, I'm going to watch all the episodes, as many episodes as I can get my hands on and really study the show and study the rhythm of the show. You know, every show has a rhythm and kind of a beat, um, you know, um, a beat that it kind of bounces to. So I usually try to find that if I'm creating an original work, I mean, I'm a research fanatic. So I really like, I feel like a lot of times writer's block is because you need more information. Um, so whenever I have writer's block, I go to information and I say, okay, maybe I don't know enough about this or, you know, you know, maybe I need to read more up on, you know, this, you know, whatever issue I'm exploring. So depending on what it is kind of dictates what my habits are. And then I just have really kooky habits. Like, you know, I don't like to see what I call hanging chads on a page. So if there's some dialogue that goes into the next line, I'll like get obsessed about like pulling it up. You know, so I have like kooky habits like that. that you probably don't want to hear about, but, <laughs> but other than that, that would be my process. Um, so let's talk about the new show. You're, you're working on um, the shy. How did that come about? How did you get connected with this show? Yeah, well, I was coming off of Empire season two, and I actually really wanted to take a break. And a friend of mine said the season one showrunner was looking for an upper-level writer to help retool the show because um, uh, the shy uh, uh, was trying to get a pickup, you know, from Showtime, an official pickup, and hadn't quite got it yet. So I, I really didn't want to work, but, you know, <laughs> my friend... Uh, pushed me to do it. So I went and met with the um, the former showrunner in Lena. And so I came on to the show just for about three months, just to try to help retool the show. And then after that, they got the official pickup and then they went on to do season one. So I wasn't a part of um, season one, um, the official season one. I was just a part of that, you know, that short-term room before the pickup. Um, and then in terms of season two, um, I just got a call from Lena saying, you know, she, you know, wanted a showrunner that could really build on, you know, what season two, you know, um, had built and someone that could add more specificity and authenticity and and just take it to the next level. And it was attractive to me because I, I watched the show and I actually enjoyed it because I hadn't seen it. And um, I really related to the characters um, because I used to live on the south side of Chicago. So I knew the community well. Um, and um, and so I decided to come on board and, um, and man the ship. I saw, I think it was an old interview with Lena. She described it as showing the human side of statistics in Chicago. How would you define, you know, the world of the shy? What are the rules or threads or limitations? Where does it vary from reality and fiction? Well, I mean, for me, I think, you know, um, you know, to me, I call it a neighborhood show. To me, it's a neighborhood show. So it's a slice of life, you know, and in a way, I wanted to feel like this season that not that we were watching actors act, but that we were documenting real people and kind of peeking in on them. So I really wanted the show to live in these moments, these character moments, um, you know, um, and, and not so much in say, you know, plot turns and, you know, and that kind of thing. So that's for me what I leaned into. And then I also wanted to make sure we still kept, um, that we kept the grit and the edge, 
but we also, you know, kept the fun and the heart and that we really captured this idea that for a lot of these communities and for a lot of Black people, life sometimes are like, you know, high high highs and low lows. And um, I once heard somebody say, you know, people like Black people's rhythm, but they don't like, like our blues. So I think for me, it was about balancing, you know, that rhythm with that blues, that joy with that pain. And that was a balancing act and still be entertaining, of course, because ultimately that's what we're trying to do. I also, also saw Lena describe this as a character study without a specific hook, which is you know unusual in today's television world. Do you have any advice or like what attracted you to come help out when you were deciding to possibly take some time off? What is it about this show that made you really want to join? Well, like I said, it was really about, you know, I had lived on the south side of Chicago and could relate, you know, to these characters and felt like I could add something to the mix and break, take it to the next level. And it is a character study, you know, without a hook, but that's also very, very hard. Uh, that makes the show very, very hard to write um, because you really have to go deep beneath the surface and really find out what is the show about. You know what I mean? Because you don't have a case of the week or, um, or a car chase. You know what I mean? To distract people. Like, so that's why for me, what I wanted to do um, more of this season was really lean into the character moments and really live with these characters and develop, have them develop relationships with each other and complicated relationships with each other and just really unpack who they are, you know, as people um, uh, and, and just go deeper with it this season. And I think we did that. Just kind of briefly, what is it like in the in the writer's room when you're not focusing on, um, you know, the main character and revolving around the main character? Um, are you also bringing in, you know, current political issues? Like what are the what are the bigger threads possibly in the show and, and how do you get those in on the on the page? Yeah, well, we, I mean, you know, I, when I first came to the show, first day of the writer's room, I sat down and, you know, after watching season one kind of back and forth about three times, I came into the room and said, okay, this year, what the show is really about is the four stages of black manhood from young Kevin to teenage Emmett to young adult Brandon to adult Ronnie. And our theme is fatherhood because I really felt like you couldn't explore kind of black manhood and the violence in Chicago without talking about fatherhood, whether that's um, the absence of fathers or how people find father figures um, in other ways. Um, and, and so that was the starting point. And then other themes, you know, obviously started to arise throughout the season and we explored gentrification and, um, redemption and forgiveness and single motherhood and incarceration. And um, I really want to get into this idea of black boy fragility and really deal with Kevin's trauma. Because to me, what I saw was a child had, who had witnessed a violent murder um, and who also had shot someone. So I wanted to deal with the trauma of it. Like little black boys aren't Teflon, they're kids. And so uh, we deal with it in a, a kid way, you know, um, in, in a subconscious way, but we do deal with it. So those are some of the things that um, that came up in the writer's room and that we explore this season. 
So I'm sure a lot of this is, is personal stories between the writers, as you hear in most writers' rooms. Was there outside research? Did you go interview people, or how, was there anything like that that happened for the season two? No, we didn't need to do that. Like I said, I lived in Chicago. I, I, I hired, um, I brought on a uh, former Chicago cop um, who lived on the South Side, who's from the South Side, who patrolled the South Side. Um, we also had you know, uh, a writer, a guy who's a father of two young boys who are the same age as the boys on the show. You know what I mean? So it was just about, you know, writers bringing their own personal stories to the table um, and and nothing else. So, you know, most of us is kind of like, you know, you know, there's a through line here because we're all black. So some of us just, you know, kind of know the world we're in and we all kind of walk that line um, of, you know, you know, being a part of one community, you know what I mean, and being a part of another community. So, you know, we all, you know, knew how to navigate in this world um, and felt very comfortable with it. So, no, we didn't need any research, except like Chicago landmarks. It, it'd be like, okay, we want to do an episode, you know, set of the, you know, set of the pool or whatever, where should we shoot it? You know what I mean? And somebody, you know, the cop from Chicago would be able to tell us, oh, where we go in the summertime is this place, you know? So cool stuff like that. And then we shot at some of those places. So we shot on the South side, which is something that didn't happen in season one. So I pushed for that and I'm really proud of that. So. Are you guys thinking about um, when you write a show like this, is it, is it more about, you know, today's um chicago or do you see the overall content is is evergreen like will it still be as relatable the majority of it will it still be as relatable 20 years from now well i think we you know where where we can hit certain things that feel current you know we did but you know if we hit things that feel universal we hit those i think we just let the stories and the characters kind of guide us um, and I don't like to agenda write, so I don't like to put all kinds of messages and, you know, to hit people over the head um, with a message or whatever. Like, I like to follow where the characters take me, and so that's how we worked. Um, and, um, and, and so sometimes, you know, I think it may feel topical, and sometimes, you know, it won't. We're just following these people's lives and... Um, and peeking through the window and like watching them live, you know, and go through their challenges and, and have their joy and have their pain and all that stuff. How do you kind of define the current state of the industry in terms of either television or film and television with streaming and um, just allowing more writers to tell different types of stories? Well, it's great. I mean, there's like an explosion in television right now. I mean, there's more television than you can even watch or digest. So the fact that this show or any show can break the noise is kind of incredible, right? You know what I mean? So it's a it's a great time, but it's also probably even more competitive now than before. You know what I mean? Um, back then, you know, there was just a few places when I first started, a few places that you could go, you know, and get a job. And if you didn't get it there, it was kind of like, you know, oh, well. Um, and now, you know, people can make TV shows on YouTube. Like, you don't even have to wait for anybody to, like, you know, hire you. Or, you know, there's so many streaming outlets, so many shows in development that they're clamoring for writers. So, 
um, it's a great time and, you know, it, and it's also a great time to, to be selective, to have the privilege of being selective. So that's cool, too. Do you think with so many uh, possibly shortcuts out there, do you think that you know, sacrifices some of the better writing? Or do you think that wherever they're at, the, the cream will rise, you know, that kind of thing, like the best will always rise? Yeah, there's definitely, that's interesting because that, that is an issue, which is people are rising too fast and they're not um, learning the craft. Um, and that's happening all over. And, and it's really um, going to end up being, um, putting people at a disadvantage, I think, long-term. Um, again, you know, when I came into the business, it was pretty rigorous. Like you had to know the craft. You had to be rigorous about it. Um, there were no shortcuts, you know, <laughs> like, um, and now, you know, they're making showrunners kind of overnight when the truth of the matter is it's a huge job and it's a lot of responsibility um, and um, people can break under the weight of it if you're not properly prepared um, and if you don't know your craft. And I, I see it, you know what I mean, happening. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, Television is a land of milk and honey right now, so I think people are just grabbing. They not they're not necessarily thinking about you know wanting to study the craft. You know, I, I think, um, but I think at the end of the day, um, the people who do, you know, put the work in, will definitely rise to the top and remain because I think you know, I don't know what the industry will look like twenty years from now. You know what I mean? But I know if you have talent. And if you work at your craft, that you'll be here. You know what I mean? So, um, but if you didn't, I don't I don't know what the future holds. I know it, it could be cool now, but I don't know what the future holds. So I always tend to tell people, you know, you know, really, really study it, really invest the time and energy in it. The same way you would if you were studying to be a surgeon. Like nobody's gonna walk into an operating room and say, Hey, I'm here, let's go <laughs> with a scalpel. <laughs> like in the same way with the writer's room, like, you know, you just can't walk in with a scalpel and start cutting. You know what I mean? You'll kill somebody. <laughs> like you'll kill stories. Like, you know? <laughs> so. Is there anything else you do that, you know, and you're a veteran writer, um, you're, you've got the great, good relationships and, and a, a history of writing great television, but is there anything else you personally do for your own longevity? Do you read certain books every year? Do you reread books on the craft or push yourself in new ways? What are some other advice you might have on longevity? Um, yeah, you know, I, I'm a big, I love um, historical pieces and, and looking back. I don't know, maybe it's because it gives you room to reflect. Um, I love watching documentaries. So I'm a big documentary buff. Um, and I think that's, that's what I do. And I have a, um, a husband who's an ornithologist and environmental scientist. So I, uh, you know, have been forced into, um, you know, appreciating nature a little more <laughs> and doing it more of his hobbies. So I do that. But um, other than that, I would say that's it. So I looked at your Twitter and I see you're, you're, you're pretty active um, on there. And that's one way people can kind of follow you. But do you also work with uh, current people that you kind of mentor or any protégés out there? Do you, you know, uh, in addition to uh, Lena, do you lend advice? And what kind of advice do you give to those people? Yeah, I mean, when they ask for it, yeah. I mean, it's, 
it's weird because writing, it's, you know, people come to ask for advice all the time and, you know, and I, and I give it and, and graciously give it. But at the end of the day with writing, it's this weird thing where like the way to be a writer is to sit down and write. And I can't kind of can't tell you how to do that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's just something, you know, it's kind of like practice makes perfect. Like all those little quotes that your mother gave you when you were little are really true. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, Sometimes you just got to sit down and do the work. Nobody can, you know, nobody can really advise you on that. Um, sometimes you just got to write like five bad scripts until you get one, you know. Um, or sometimes you got to, you know, read some screenwriting books or put some screenwriting books down and go do something interesting to free up your brain. You know what I mean? Um, or be exposed to something different, um, you know. Um, so, so a lot of times, um, you know, I give advice, but my advice is always just do the work. Keep writing. Do not stop writing, even when it's hard. Keep writing. And that's not funny here. You know, that's not that's not sexy advice. So in the field of social media, I don't know how sexy it is, but that there it is. <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to say about the shy? Um, no, that's all. I think, you know, people are really also going to enjoy that we really um, give the women, uh, female characters, you know, uh, a voice this year. And, um, you know, Jerrica and Jada and the two moms, Kevin's two moms, they all have more of a presence this year. So I think people will appreciate that. And we just really try to fill out the world more and make the world feel more complete. So that's it. Was there anything um, that helped to do that? Was, you know, was it a balance in the writer's room between men and women, or how did you kind of, um, what might have helped shape up the, all the characters better like that? Yeah, we actually um, did have a balance. The writer's room was half female, half male, and then also seven out of the ten um, episodes were directed by women. So it's kind of interesting. I, I just realized this, you know, about a month or so ago that, you know, Usually you have, you know, you know, directing is a male-dominated uh, profession, and usually you have men telling all the stories and telling women's stories. And this time on The Shy, you know, seven, with seven out of ten episodes directed by women, it's actually women telling very male-centric stories. So, you know, so it's kind of like, you know, women are behind the camera um, and, and telling those stories, which is, which is, doesn't happen that often and which I think is pretty cool. And just to one more question, can you tell us any details about the Cotton Club that's listed on IMDb? Yeah, so the Cotton Club was is a project that I'm executive producing with Neil Marin and LA Reed. Um and um and we are it was at Fox, but it uh was at Fox and had a life there, but then the merger happened. <laughs> so, yeah, and yeah, and we were in the limited uh, series department, and that department was the first to go away. So we are gearing back up to go back out and sell it. So stay tuned; it's coming, um, and we're still working on it. So, it, but but it's it's a it's a fantastic project. Um, obviously, you know, you know. The Cotton Club is infamous, and um, and we really um, enter the world of the Harlem Renaissance through the Hot uh, Cotton Club. It's just a fantastic story. So definitely, it's definitely still alive.
I know it's uh, historical fiction, but is it is it based on an adaptation, or is it all pretty much original? Or how how did you kind of create this world? Yeah, no, it was all original. It's it's just all um, yeah, all stuff you know I made up. <laughs> but um, but actually, it's not. I, I I wouldn't say it's made up. I would say that I did a tremendous amount of amount of research. Um, I actually um, hired a researcher who. Um, was able to find um, uh, tapes and and writings of uh, Black people who had actually worked inside the Cotton Club, which, you know, is hard to find and rare that you would find that because the monsters who ran the club didn't allow people to speak about it. So um, so a lot of the, the, the stories and the feel of the piece um, is, you know, is based on um, the stories of the people that I read about and, and that, you know, speak on tape about what it was like to work inside the Cotton Club, you know, as a Black person. So pretty cool stuff. I mean, and, um, you know, and a lot of familiar characters like, you know, Duke Ellington and and that sort of thing. So um, just really exciting um, and definitely keep looking out for that. It is still alive and kicking. Thank you so much for tuning into the show. Before you leave, don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter where you also get free access to the freelancer course, Master the Freelancer Mindset. This system will teach you exactly how to find clients online, which includes step one, the psychology of the mindset, step two, how to create a killer profile, and step three, how to find quality clients. This online course is valued at $99. It can be yours for free. In addition to the free course, you'll get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.